Hello, and welcome to episode 221 of the End Focus podcast. I am your irregular host, Andrew Brown, and this week we're joined by our regular co-host, Silvio Wassenaar. Hello. And Rosalie, the little record girl. Hello. So we're doing some catch-up this week. Don't have many new releases, but we'll be looking back to some recent releases of the past few weeks. So let's go ahead and jump in with our updates from previous episodes. Now, last week, Rosalie played Theater Rhythm Final Bar Line, the rhythm music game based on Final Fantasy music. I wanted to play it, but my delivery was inexplicably delayed for no apparent reason. Uh, <laughs> I finally got it, and I've spent the past week playing it, and I just wanted to give my my alternate take on it. And I believe Sylvie's played it quite a bit, too, haven't you? Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. Hey. All right, so we should both have some new things to say about it. Uh <laughs> First thing, I didn't know this, but this is actually based on the arcade version that was uh, previously a Japan exclusive, because, you know, if it's an arcade game, it's going to be in Japan. They're not going to release it anywhere else (laughs) for obvious reasons. I was surprised by the available modes that are in this. There's a kind of quest mode where you play through each series title's music in, in rough chronologic order, very similar to what Kingdom Hearts melody of memory did last year and there's a single song play mode and then there's an online multiplayer mode but the random dungeon mode from curtain call on 3ds was missing which which quite concerned me i thought there wasn't going to be any way to play a a random selection of songs which i think is the most interesting way to play this game there is we'll talk about that later but you have to unlock it first Uh, what, what did you think of of this version of the game compared to the 3ds versions have you played those sylvie no this is my first uh theater rhythm uh, game. Oh. okay so did this feel like a complete package to you or did you feel like anything was missing the best way i can answer this is the way that you unlock everything the way it's all presented to you this could have been incredibly overwhelming to a new player like myself <laughs> the way that you unlock everything by just playing the songs in each series you get to a certain point unlock another series it felt I guess, complete in that sense, in that it's like an intentional progression. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't have any comparison, but I just appreciate the way, you know, I'm neurodivergent. You give me a checklist, I'm probably going to try and tick it all off. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I identify with that problem, although I I don't think of it as a problem. I enjoy it. (laughs) But you didn't feel like there was like a, a third way you felt like you would like to be able to play the game versus, you know, just play every song in order or play a song of your choice. And that's that's really the only two options that are, are there if you don't have internet access. So you didn't feel like there was a third option you really needed. I'm not saying that you, you, you should have. I'm just asking no. if there was anything you felt was missing. No? Okay. I felt like the the series mode was really just the game. And then mm-hmm. the single song mode. Every rhythm game has that, I guess. It certainly uh, got me to play all the songs that Curtain Call didn't do a very good job of doing. Because like, in Curtain Call, once I unlock the, the random like quest mode where there's like a dungeon mode and you, you select a dungeon that has a bunch of different songs laid out on a track. The track splits at different places. You can go up or you can go down. But the point is to get to the end of the track, play every song along the way and defeat the boss at the end of it. And it's all randomly played out. And so there were many songs in Curtain Call that I, I never actually ended up playing because I had no interest in playing them from the single play mode. And 
they just never came up in the random. <laughs> this way, I'm actually playing every song in the game at least once. But that can be so dangerous because when I was playing through it, I was like, oh, I've not thought about Final Fantasy V in a while. And then you play <laughs> through the songs and you're like, oh, maybe I should replay Final Fantasy V. And I felt that for like nearly all of them. Sounds like a good idea to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but having said all this, once you do, uh, quote unquote, beat the game, I won't say how to do that. I'll leave that as a surprise. But once you've done that, you do unlock in the series quest mode, Endless World, which is just literally a random playlist of songs that you play in order if you fail the song you lose one of your three hit points and if you run out of hit points it's game over uh, and also there are quests that you have to accomplish here in the endless world like reach a certain point total defeat a certain enemy in in the the line of enemies that appears in each song finish it with like a certain character in your party it varies but if you don't finish that quest then you lose a heart then too so those are actually where the main challenge is is not just finishing the songs but also finishing the quests am, am i the only one who's actually played endless world at all i have a feeling i am i yes. sure haven't yeah yeah okay <laughs> i haven't played it much because i'm trying to finish all the the series titles first like the regular quest mode before I go and spend too much time in it. But finishing the quests really requires a lot more than just getting top ranks on each song, you know, hitting all the notes, because like, you can do that. It's really not that hard, depending upon what difficulty you're on. But that doesn't always translate into doing well in the actual Final Fantasy battling that's going on behind all the note tracks. Because each time you hit a note, depending upon the timing of it and which track the note is on, one of your four characters in your party will attack with that note. And if you're playing on the easiest difficulty, you're actually not going to be hitting things all that often, so you're not going to be dealing that much damage. So on some of them, if you have to defeat a certain boss, you actually have to play on one of the higher difficulties just to deal enough damage to actually hurt them, which I think is really interesting. a really interesting spin on the rhythm music game it's there's a lot more going on than just hitting the notes like you can have fun with the game just doing that and just going for high scores and trying to finish every song and getting the triple s ranking on every song but if you actually want to succeed at the rpg half of the game there's quite a bit more going on there one of the biggest challenges is actually how character abilities work now in the 3DS games, each character had an ability or a, had a statistic called CP. I don't remember what it, the CP stands for, something points, but it, it was what abilities you could equip. And the more CP you had, the more abilities you could equip, and like more powerful abilities required more CP. They've changed it quite a bit in Final Bar Line. Now each character just has three slots. You can equip three abilities, that's it, that's all you get. So there's a lot more strategy you really have to consider there. Do you remember that at all, Rosalie, in the 3DS games? No. <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> and for this one, I just keep just pressing the optimize button to make it easier. I haven't done that yet. Maybe I, maybe I should try that. I, I've been trying to do what I think are good decisions, but I don't know if they actually are. <laughs> <laughs> Sylvie hasn't played the 3DS game, so it will make no difference to her, but... <laughs> Uh, summons are quite different now too like in, in the 3DS games there were specific points in each song where the summon would take place like if you reached if you reached the mm -hmm. summon section in One Winged Angel that's where the summon would play it happens every time you play that song and now in this you, you build up a meter as you hit notes and your summon will happen then and like the summons work a lot more like 
I compared it to Pokemon, or you earn them as random rewards and they have different statistics. So there's a lot of grinding and like when you play online, you can trade the summon you have equipped to your collect a card to other players and you'll get one from them. A lot more interesting system as far as trying to collect as many summons as you can. Have the summons made a big impact for how either of you have been playing? Because I feel like I've been having a really hard time finding one where I actually feel powerful. <laughs> I feel like there's more to them than I'm really like getting out of them. Like there seems to be, mm -hmm. there's like little colored dots on all of them that seem to correspond to like rarities or something. Yeah, like... there's like silver, gold, diamond, or platinum color or something like that. Yeah, because when I hit the optimize button, it just keeps on recommending this one Odin over and over. Hmm. Just because it's got like a colorful badge on it or something, I don't know. The one I'm using is a a Phoenix card that increases the number of collector cards that drop and also increases the experience my, my guys get. I have no idea how powerful it actually is. I'm just trying to collect everything and level everybody up, so that's all I'm really concerned about right now. I think that's the one I have as well, because I keep pressing the optimize button and it's just the same Phoenix every single time. <laughs> which helps the cards and the experience. And I was like, oh, maybe I should change it up. No, okay. <laughs> now, also new, I wish I had known this last week because I think I kind of forced Rosalie down a path based on my knowledge of the games where actually it's quite different here. There's multi-button notes. And actually, I would say they dominate most of the game. Like on 3DS, you could play with the stylus, but I always played with the buttons. And it was a, a single button game. You kept rhythm with any face button you wanted, but you just had to press one button at a time. Uh, in this one, you have to press at least two. And the higher you are on the difficulty, the more of these double button presses I find I'm encountering. So I would actually characterize this more as a two-button-style rhythm game, much more in line with Melody of Memory, which I was not expecting to encounter. The one thing I forgot to mention last time as well is that um, because you're not using a stylus, the long green notes that move feel mm -hmm. a bit rubbish. <laughs> because I don't know uh, what it is. For, at first, I was moving it in, in tune with the line. So if it was going, I was like following the line. And then I realized it's actually better if you just go up or down. But there's still like, it just doesn't feel that great. And for some reason, that's just where my... It hmm. just... It just reminds me that, yeah, it is, and it's, it's it's every time they come up, I'm like, it's this is where I'm reminded that they're basing their controls off of a very famous music rhythm software that is mainly used with like drawing tablets and stuff, and it's just really annoying. <laughs> Any song that doesn't use them or like where they don't move, I'm like, I like this song. This is my favorite song. That's exactly how they work on the 3DS games using the circle pad too. I haven't had any problem with them <laughs> i'm not even sure what you're saying so but. okay so so the base of what this is on is called usu which is a very famous uh -huh. music rhythm software and game and in usu you're mainly always meant to use a, a stylus of some sort so it, okay. it's designed it's designed on that basis so it's also Precision. what elite beat agents yeah so it's also what elite beat agents is based off of it's the same game yeah i'm talking it, about the joystick yeah, I know. So the fact when that the bar you goes use... up, you hold up. When the bar goes down, you hold down. I... But there's there's like a it's like a disconnect though because it's not technically designed for that. If that makes sense, so that you can't be as precise as you would if you were playing 
when you're using a stylus because it's like a little circle that you have to keep lined up yeah with the thing yeah. and for the most part it kind of stays magnetized to the line mm-hmm. like you just hold up and it will just move up as fast as the line does but sometimes it, it just misaligns and pops out yeah <laughs> it's like the only thing that's been really like annoying me and every time it comes off and i'm like oh here we go <laughs> and it feels like you have to kind of like pre-work your brain to get around the jank of it <laughs> if that means i have sense. no idea what you're talking about oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the bar goes up you hold up the bar goes down you hold down i yeah i'm not having in any problem with it not in theory in practice <laughs> well 90 percent of the time i have no problem with it sometimes it just yeah. doesn't behave as expected where i am holding up oh, and yeah. it goes okay i'm going to the top when the bar is in the middle because the little white circle's just not aligned with the green bar yeah. somehow. I've, I've seen that happen, and I just let go of the joystick, and it, and it fixes itself. <laughs> I just, yeah. I'm not having the problem here that you two are describing. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going it, on. It'll there. fix itself, but it can mean that you miss a, a note while doing that. And it means mm. it's, it's just a rhythm games require a certain amount of predictability and consistency, and that isn't quite all the way there. I completely disagree. I completely disagree. Another thing that I had a problem with on the 3DS, we're still talking about the uh, the green track notes. Uh, a lot of the times they would end on like where you have to press a direction. And when I was playing with the circle pad, that was a real problem because you know you're using the circle pad to guide where the green note is going up and down along the bar, and then at the end you have to press like usually the complete opposite direction of where the bar is going. Uh, I found on this one, now that you have two joysticks, that's a lot easier. You just press down to keep the track, and on the other joystick you press in the direction it's supposed to go and it gets to the end. I found that a lot more Weird, precise. Weird, I find it the other way. It's actually <laughs> really easy to just flick at the end. Yeah. Are you playing handheld? Yeah hell no <laughs> oh okay well oh. maybe that's why i don't see what yeah. difference that would make i don't know but yeah i've been playing exclusively handheld for this game and just for the sake of like latency and i haven't had any oh. trouble with the flicking hmm. well i haven't either but that's because i've been using this other method <laughs> yeah well yeah i don't know we just play differently <laughs> uh, and the other new thing is rainbow criticals each track has a, or each song has a, a critical chart that you're supposed to fill in if you can hit every note in the song critical you don't have to do it all at once just over time if you hit a note as critical it adds it to the critical chart then you can eventually fill it up so the entire song's like critical chart turns gold then the song is completely done on that difficulty level Uh, they've added rainbow criticals now which is an even more precise timing and that's what you really want to be aiming for now does that sound weird to you that there's a (laughs) that the rainbow criticals are new to this version of the game because they they feel they fit right in they feel like they've always been there but they're actually new yeah i feel like that should have been there from the start <laughs> um because i play uh this game called beat star on mobile and that's got like perfect and perfect plus and it just reminded me of of that where it's got that good enough and then perfect sort of feeling <laughs> to it Sylvia, i think you said you were obsessed with this game is that what is that the word you used I was obsessed with the way that they've presented the game is just like a <laughs> dopamine factory for me. Yes, <laughs> can relate. Start a, a series and just finish it in the same sitting. Yeah, 
And even if it's only like a dozen songs, it still takes a surprisingly long time to get done. <laughs> yeah, it'll be like, I'll, I'll just start playing and then I'll look out the window and it's nighttime. It's that sort of game for me. Yeah, I had that experience earlier in the week. I wanted to do some other things. I had a day off because it was a snow day, and I had all kinds of plans. And I sat down to play through the Final Fantasy fourteen songs, which there's 32 of them. It's the longest oh, wow. series in the game. <laughs> like eight hours later, I was still playing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but just as far as the presentation, like in the end credits, there's a, a moment where like literally every character is on screen. I'm like, it's just like the end of the Muppet movie. <laughs> <laughs> Great game. I love it. Every early on in the year, there's always a game of the year contender. I think this is it for this year. Ooh. Last year was Pokemon Legends. This year it's Theater Rhythm. <laughs> I'm loving it. But yeah. like, I've played a fair few Final Fantasy games, but I wouldn't like put it in my most favorite of all time uh top tier list i guess yeah once upon a time i would have but yeah not anymore uh and i have no nostalgia final fantasy 13 is probably the most nostalgic <laughs> out of these for me I'm what oh man <laughs> i just i didn't own any consoles that final fantasy final fantasy was out on until like Oh. apparently <laughs> wait was your actual first one 13 yeah Oh no! I've never that finished breaks it. Breaks my heart. I'm so <laughs> yeah, sorry don't, for you. you. Don't need to. The first one I finished was 15. No, I'm it so was seven. Sorry. I played it after 13. I played seven. I finished that. So I got nostalgia for that as well, like 10 years ago, maybe. Oh wow! Yeah. You don't need to finish 13. In fact, if you could erase it from your memory, that'd probably be better and save your memory up for something else. Everyone says that, but I really liked what I played. And lightning's cool. <laughs> My favorite thing about the Final Fantasy series is when they get to Final Fantasy XII, they just quit making them after that. It was it was so cool. They just they knew when to stop. <laughs> oh, I mean, technically they stopped making them before twelve, even though twelve was good because half the team left. <laughs> they were like, "I'm out, I'm done," and they made Lost Odyssey. Remember Mistwalker? It's back in POG form. <laughs> yeah, we should talk about the DLC and pricing before we move on. Um, I waited to get the DLC because I, I didn't realize I should have because, you know, it's a Square Enix product. But I didn't realize how ridiculously it was formatted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I got the physical version of Theater Rhythm because, of course, I did. That's just who I am. Uh, and so I didn't really have access to the premium, like the digital deluxe and the, the super deluxe, whatever the hell they've called them editions and there's a bunch of songs like 25 songs that are only available in that and the way it's priced is you can get a deluxe upgrade it's 30 dollars in the u.s that includes those 25 songs plus the season one dlc but not the season two and three dlc because that would just be absurd or you can get the season one by itself and then season two and three by themselves but there's no way to just get those 25 bonus tracks by themselves you have to pay Square Enix extra money basically to get them. I'm so annoyed by this that uh, I may not end up getting the DLC at all. This <laughs> <laughs> is just like screw you, you price gouging jack. And it's not even just that. It's like three of the most famous songs in the entire Final Fantasy series are behind that paywall. And like when you play through like Final Fantasy Nine, you play through the songs and it, you kind of feel like oh you're in order of like you playing the actual game. And then you're like, hey, wait a second. Where's that really famous song that the character sings? Oh, it's behind a bloody paywall. <laughs> it feels so gross. Yeah. I think the execution is off. 
I think like if any game genre can get away with something like this, it would be a rhythm game and they've yeah. just biffed it. It's not good. I think the only DLC that I will get is the World Ends With You music just because some of my favorite songs are in there. Everything yeah. else I just have no real strong attachment to. And as I said before, I don't really have much strong attachment to a lot of these other Final Fantasy games. The music's good, but paying more money for it is just... When there's already 375 songs in the game to begin with. Exactly. It's not like there's a shortage. <laughs> I exactly. want the Chrono songs that are coming out in a couple months. Those I'd really like to have. But other than that, I'm completely indifferent to all the DLC stuff. Yeah, I've heard Chrono's got really good music, so maybe that too. But... Oh, it's so good. <laughs> but I think we've all, we all give this game a thumbs up, though. It sounds like, uh, mm -hmm. in spite of our misgivings about certain aspects of how it's being monetized. At least they're not NFTs. Yeah, yeah, there's that. Oh, although Square have done that. <laughs> That's what I mean. Yeah. It's like, at least these aren't NFTs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The president said in a letter to investors they're still doing it. That doesn't mean they're still doing it. It just yeah. means they don't want the investors to jump ship. Oh, because they sunk all their money into a Ponzi scheme. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thumbs up from me, too. Like I beat it, and I'm still playing it. That says something. Usually when I beat a game, I'm on to the next thing, and I never come back. But I'm still, I'm still here, <laughs> at least for... Uh, half an hour to an hour a day. So now let's move on with what we played this week. So I'll start out. I played Extermination Force. It's a short, you know, two-hour boss rush shooter game. I play as a soldier in the titular Extermination Force. They are the last soldiers on Earth that is under attack by 14 different robot masters, uh, and you go on each mission to destroy them one by one and each one has a weak point somewhere on it that you have to figure out how to reveal by destroying parts of its armor climbing up of it and smashing that weak point with your character's weapon the, the character i had has a baseball bat in addition to his gun and each boss is just basically like a puzzle it's kind of like cuphead in structure you know how it's just one character one super squishy character versus a boss but uh, the bosses are a lot more like puzzles where you got to figure out how to reveal their weak points versus cuphead where it's just a purely skill-based affair for the most part really enjoyed it i got it for super cheap i think i got it for a buck 99 on sale totally worth it at that price <laughs> but otherwise it's like 11.99 even then i would have been perfectly happy paying for it don't have much to say about it i mean it's just it's a really well-made game had a great time with it not very long Challenging, but short and fun. I approve. Uh, Rosalie played the Sea of Stars demo. Rosalie, uh, why don't you go ahead and talk about that? And I'm just going to stick my fingers in my ear because I don't want to hear a thing about this. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to go into much detail because I know you want to go in it fresh. No, it's I okay. Just, <laughs> yeah. I, no, um, the demo's like about an hour. Talking of Game of the Year contenders, when this comes out, I think this might be mine. It, I wasn't expecting to like it so much. It's, it's very whimsical and nostalgic despite not being an old game um i know the devs are inspired by like chrono trigger mm -hmm. and my gaming shame is that i have never played chrono trigger well I, know I need, need to 
it's they're not making it easy for people to play. <laughs> no, uh, I will at one point because it's Final Fantasy and it's Akira Toriyama doing the designs, and I'm a Dragon Ball nerd. Oh, it, this is just great. The bit that you're in is like all piratey, and I love, I just love pirates, and it's just really, <laughs> it's just the artwork is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I like sprite art anyway, and it's something I actually wanted to learn myself at some point. There's a bit where you go to the world map. And the world map is kind of like you follow lines to the different areas, but there's this big massive sleeping dragon and it's so like, it's like something out of a Ghibli movie kind of, it just, it's so world building and you just feel like you're right in this lovely fantasy world and it's just, and the music is incredible and I, I think they actually got the Chrono Trigger composer to do some tracks for it, which is like... I wow. think they did. <laughs> yeah, I don't know I, uh, if that was part of the Kickstarter, like they earned a certain amount that they could do that. Um, um, well, these developers made The Messenger, which was really a really successful indie game, so I don't know uh, if they, that they needed Kickstarter to get that support, because like, they're an established team. Yeah. I know the Chrono Trigger developer, or the Chrono Trigger composer, has been working on indie games lately. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure this is one of the games. So. Yeah. It actually reminded me more of uh, Breath of Fire in terms mm. of like when you're in a little world, it's kind of contained and you can see like a kind of background around the little world that you're in, if that makes sense. Like you can kind of see where the platforms end and there's usually like a cool, they're equivalent to like a skybox around it, which I actually kind of liked because I love Breath of Fire 4. Mm. And the battle system is really, it's a bit difficult, but it's interesting. It's kind of a bit like the Super Mario RPGs. Yeah, I was going to ask. That was what I got the impression from the trailer was they look like yeah. Mario and Luigi. There's two person, two characters on the team and their abilities kind of play off each other. There's like combos and more powerful spells you can do together. I didn't do a lot of that. The main thing is like a little dialogue box will pop up at random encounters and it will say like a little sword icon or a hammer or like a spell. Like there's like a little moonbeam and when you're, if you're the girl character, she can like... Um, boomerang this kind of moonbeam thing if I hit the sword guy and I use the guy that's like you know the tank and I use her and then I think that becomes a critical kind of attack on them or it does more damage I wasn't sure what the actual kind of what they were going for is but it was it's interesting it actually makes you not fall asleep at random encounters I, I like the Mario RPGs and I like when they do that because I'm also neurodivergent and I get really bored easily so like making sure that I'm paying attention in battles is like yes thank you (laughs) it's just it's really wonderful I am going to probably pre-order it and I haven't pre-ordered an indie game in a very long time and I'm sure we'll cover it in more depth when you Mm. buy it and play it but like oh I wasn't expecting to be so the puzzles in it are really cool as well the coolest thing about the demo is there's a bit where you're because it's obviously not at the start of the game it's it's you know they picked a segment that they liked to use and there's characters that are talking to you and they start saying something and it just says redacted so that it doesn't actually spoil the plot for you (laughs) (laughs) and I was like I've never seen that in a demo before and that's that's really cool and really neat I know I, I I am a slave to nostalgia but at the same time like you can definitely tell that the the people making this are into old school JRPGs because that's it feels like one of them uh, and I'm just, I'm very looking forward to the full game. Yeah, it depends upon what kind of release it gets, whether I get it right away. Uh, if there's a physical release, I'm going to wait mm. for that. So, like, it might even still be 
another couple months to a year before I end up playing it after it comes out, uh, which I'm not real thrilled about. But <laughs> yeah, I was actually if it has a PlayStation release, I don't know if it is or will at some point. I might actually get it for that um, because that feels like where JRPGs go for me. But it might not, so I might just have to get the digital version. Well, cool. I mean, I wasn't yep. at all concerned about that, but <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know that it makes a good first impression. Uh, yeah. The other game I played this week was Elderand. It's a new dark fantasy adventure platformer because, you know, I got to play every single one of those that comes out. Uh, not a lot to say for this one. It is one of the most generic adventure platformers I've ever played. If you've ever played an adventure platformer, this game won't make any surprises for you at all. Uh, it's a side-scrolling open-world game where you find keys to open doors and you get new abilities that let you access new areas of the game like Double Jump and Air Dash. Completely played straight here. There are no surprises. It does have an RPG combat system, which is probably the most original thing about it or it depends upon what you have equipped determines how your player character behaves. Like you can equip a sword and a shield, which is the route I went. And there's a, a stamina meter that determines how much you can block before they break your guard and can just hit you freely. You can also equip daggers, which attack much more quickly, but you can't equip a shield with them. You have to use exact timing on a dodge ability to avoid attacks that way, or you can just run away which is probably safer and easier uh, and you can also equip magic stabs which is how you use magic in the game which I, I didn't do very much of there are quite a number of staves you can find and that's how you use different magic spells is you actually have to have different staves equipped and there's a bow and arrow too which i also barely used <laughs> i beat the whole game pretty much with the sword and the shield and when you get to the end of the game, you know, you can fight the boss, and if you just fight the boss, you get the bad ending, but if you explore the world and you find all the hidden notes that hint at what you have to do to get the good ending, then you can fight the second boss after the first boss. It's, oh, I've played so many games like this and just really, <laughs> I didn't dislike Eldorand, but there was just nothing in it to get me excited anymore. It's, it's such a by-the-numbers adventure platformer. If you're super into these, this is another one you can play that will keep you busy. But if you're looking for the next Hollow Knight, the next Blasphemous, this is not it. And last game this week is going to be Metroid Prime Remastered, which both Sylvia and I played. Sylvia, why don't you go ahead and talk about this one, because uh, we've been taking up all the oxygen. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, <laughs> Metroid Prime came out on the GameCube, what, 20 years ago now? Mm-hmm. It was 2002. 2002. Dang. I feel like a lot of GameCube games actually kind of hold up in the graphics department, mainly because of art direction. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. And this is definitely one of those games I would have been very happy with just Metroid Prime as is on the Switch. As I said when this came up in the, the Nintendo Direct, I thought they had just ported the game. And I was like, the graphics still hold up because <laughs> uh, <laughs> they've definitely remastered the graphics. They definitely have. I mean, I downloaded the game, played it for half an hour. Mm -hmm. And went, this is exactly how I remember it. <laughs> and then I had to go watch a comparison video and I'm going like, okay, yeah, that's yeah. got like a thousand times many polygons as usual. Yeah, I normally push back against that idea, but actually I agree with it here uh, that it looks just how like we remember it looking. It's like, no, actually this is pretty much the effect they were going for. Uh, like The biggest one is Samus herself. Just the number of polygons on her model is impressive. Along the, her lower back, she has this part of her armor that's just a bunch of ridges mm. 
they did that with a texture on GameCube. Like it's it's just lines drawn on her back were meant to understand our ridges. On the Switch remaster, no, there is one polygon for each ridge. It looks like you would cut yourself if you touched them. <laughs> Absolutely. Like an incredible upgrade while also being incredibly respectful to the source material. I know the guy that did the mm-hmm. doors would disagree and I would agree with him. <laughs> the doors, when I when I shot them from a distance, I couldn't tell if they'd been activated or not because the color doesn't change that much. No. Which would be one of the very few things I would criticize this game for visually. The doors are the wrong color. <laughs> yeah, they turn from like very light blue to very light mm. blue. <laughs> sometimes it's like gunmetal white and sometimes the lighting in the scene is blue and it doesn't work from it like a game design perspective it's it's not game breaking but i guess this is going to be people's first time playing metroid prime and the gameplay mm-hmm. i finished it the gameplay is incredibly well it's just untouched ultimately uh there's no checkpoints it's if if you walk past the save room, save, please. <laughs> Manual saves only. Even if you think you don't need to save, save. <laughs> uh, especially in Magmore, I was really impressed with just the the experience felt so authentic. I played Metroid Prime the original one like maybe two or three times before last playthrough was last year, just because I really mm. like it. And yeah, so I guess it was still kind of fresh in my mind. I was in in the back of my mind. I was dreading replaying it again so soon. <laughs> Honestly, I think it kind of <laughs> enhanced my experience because I knew where I didn't get lost as much. Yeah. How long did it take you to finish your file? Uh, about eight hours. That's faster than me. It took me about nine, but I found 84% of the items. Do you remember how many you found? I think it was like 79 to 85, mm. so- somewhere around there. Okay. Um, enough to get the good ending. <laughs> Which yes, guess... the good ending, where she takes her helmet off. Very impressive. Yeah, you get to see her face. <laughs> yeah, gameplay-wise, perfect. Uh, control-wise, I'm glad that they added the dual stick. Controls yeah. where left stick is walk, right stick is look, uh, and left trigger is lock on. And mm-hmm. I know Andrew encouraged me to try out the other control schemes to see how they were and i tried them for like i put them on walked two meters with them and went nope oh no nope i had the exact same experience because i i was looking for like the modern style of motion aiming where like like a borderlands or fortnite or all those switch ports where they have dual stick controls or, or splatoon obviously yeah uh, with dual stick aiming, like in any other shooter you can play on the market today, but also uses the accelerometer in the controller to fine-tune your aiming. That was what I was looking for, and it does exist in this game, but it's it's not where you think it would be. <laughs> there's the hybrid controls, and there's the motion, like pointing controls, the pointer controls, which work like like the Wii, the Wii version on Trilogy. Well, uh, I say that. Kind of. Yeah, <laughs> but because uh, there's no IR bar, it, yeah. it's all working It'll with the accelerometer. It's actually quite different. It's quite different. Yeah. <laughs> what I was looking for is there, but it's in the 
dual joystick default setup and you have to turn on the motion aiming in the camera controls which is a completely different menu not obvious but it's exactly what i was looking for so you know i can't complain too much yeah i i guess i didn't really feel like i was missing them too much just because the lock-on kind of did what i wanted gyro to do anyway just to kind of touch up and it's just like okay well i just got the auto aim button that's the thing Metroid Prime is a first-person adventure. Mm -hmm. Sure, it's first-person. Sure, you shoot things, but that's not the point of the game. If you've played a Metroid game at all, if you've played Dread and then want to experience Metroid again, it's the same structure where you explore, you find an item that helps you explore more to find more items that help you explore more. It's just a really addictive gameplay loop. Like Eldorand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, I was surprised how much I ended up using the lock-on with the yeah. joystick controls in there. But that just might be just how much I played Metroid Prime. So I was just automatic. It was like, oh, lock-on. <laughs> now we're moving. The GameCube version didn't have dual sto- joystick controls. So you needed the lock-on to fight things Yeah. without getting your butt kicked. Because <laughs> what you do with dual joystick aiming today with like circle strafing, you couldn't do on the GameCube version of Metroid Prime. So you needed the lock-on. I thought with the dual joystick, I wouldn't be using the lock-on because I just wouldn't need it. But no, I was still locking on to everything. <laughs> but maybe other people who haven't played the original version of the game and who haven't played it as many times as I have, they will not use it as much. I'm not so sure because mm. scanning is a big part of the game. <laughs> I saw so many people complaining about having to switch to the scan visor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think you could get away with that in modern gaming in this implementation. I don't... I think if Metroid Prime 4 doesn't have the scan visor, I think people are going to be mad. Oh, yeah. (laughs) When I say that, I mean, like, if anyone else did it as well. It works really well in Metroid because that's how you get the world building. There's, like, no dialogue. Mm. Uh, The world building comes from you exploring, and a lot of that exploring is scanning objects to find out what's that intercepting communicate between uh, the space pirates some of it's pretty bleak <laughs> and and they aren't space pirates like you know our space pirates they're just they're a race of aliens called the space pirates because nintendo was not very creative in the 80s when they made this game the original <laughs> no. metroid <laughs> they called they they made samus aaron a bounty hunter because they thought that was a cool job name they didn't actually understand what bounty hunters do <laughs> she's more of a mercenary yeah so visors the scan visor is the main one you'll unlock a couple of others I'll, I'll leave them as surprises i suppose but visors are just like another way to see the world in front of you uh, and the scan visor is the one that you start off with. Well, combat visor, technically, I just call it like the default in my head. Combat is just where you shoot things. Yeah. Did you struggle with the controls at all? I did kind of struggle with the controls. Sometimes. To do the super missiles, you have to charge up your charge beam first, and then you have to press the missile button. They've assigned the missile to the R bumper and fires on the right trigger. I don't hold the controller that way. I know a lot of people do, but I don't. I use one finger for right trigger and right bumper. I don't use two. <laughs> so The A button it, it also always... shoots. So you can hold down the A button and then press the right bumper. 
that ne- it never occurred to me to do that to do that <laughs> okay i feel dumb now but and uh to change uh the guns you have to hold down the x button and then press a direction on the d-pad that's what got me but the devices are on the d-pad normally mm-hmm. it, that threw me every single time i was like wait yeah. okay what what do i have to press here it's it's a was... really cool way to do it on the hud where mm-hmm. you, you get to see which beam you have equipped and which visor you have equipped and it's like d-pad shaped so i never pushed the wrong direction i just couldn't remember which one was for the visor which one was for the beam i was constantly equipping the wrong weapon (laughs) so yeah as we've been saying it's it really is just like the classic metroid experience translated to 3d uh and the significance Mm -hmm. is is this is the first 3d metroid game in that sense and that they, they nailed it. Right they nailed it first try. Well, I mean, after a very protracted and difficult development period. Sure, but it, it paid off because uh, I think this is one of the most influential games of the period, even yeah. though I don't think the sales figures really reflected that. Critically, it was a success. Uh, I don't know about elsewhere, but it, it was a player's choice title in the US, so it definitely sold. Oh, good. Because I, I just... In the back of my head, I just assume Metroid never sells well. Uh, it's starting to now, and I think a lot of that is just piggybacking off the Switch's success in Metroid Dread. <laughs> Which, it, it's fine. I'm happy with that. that um, that's not a like a thinly veiled critique. I want more Metroid games, and I want more people to play more Metroid games. And no one asked for Metroid Prime Remastered. We just wanted the trilogy. Which is, yeah. <laughs> I know a lot of people are, like, balking at the price. It's sixty dollars Australian. I think it's forty American. Mm. It's forty US, which is like you know bottom basement for a triple A release. Yeah, it's thirty five yeah. pounds here for a physical as well. Of course, if you can get one. <laughs> <laughs> They've redone the entire graphics of this game. It's not just textures. It's not a remaster in that they've just upscaled the textures or run it through an AI like Persona Three Portable. They've redone. The lighting, the not just the textures, but the geometry as well. Uh, I don't think they've done anything to the music, though, because that was just already good. No, nothing needed to be done to it. <laughs> yeah. It really is just like a really heavy polish. It also runs at like 60 frames per second. I've noticed like a mm. couple of hitches here and there, but I haven't seen anyone else talk about it, like Digital Foundry. I don't think noticed any, so I don't know what I'm detecting. But it feels like sometimes when there's a lot of particles on screen, and it was in the original too. It didn't even occur to me, which is usually a good sign of a yeah. solid frame rate. It's like I didn't even think about it. You look at how pretty this game is, and it's running at 60 frames per second. Why can't more people do that? <laughs> to be fair, this is very specifically made for the Switch. A lot of people kind of compare multi-platform ports where switch kind of gets like the main game but cut down this had the switch in mind the entire time from what i'm hearing they've been sitting on this for like a year and a half as well like it got rated in 2021 i heard that too somewhere in germany they got a rating for it Uh, so that might have been a result of metroid prime 4 getting (laughs) reset (laughs) yeah because i've also heard that this is like a good way to kind of train the Trained or retrained the staff on how to make a Metroid game again, because Retro Studios did mm. um, uh, Donkey Kong for quite a while. 
And for like so, 10 years, that was all they did was Donkey yeah. Kong. <laughs> so getting them working on a Metroid game again. And a Star Fox racer that may or may not exist. Yeah, apparently. I think this is a good way, like a good stepping stone. If you're going into it expecting a story, I think you'll be disappointed because it's not really a story-driven game. It's more... There's, there's like a loose narrative and there's a lot of world building. Yeah, like, there's a there's definitely something has happened on this planet called Talon 4, but you have to yeah. like explore all the recesses of the world and find all these scans on random walls and does does this sound like another game that anybody else is uh you know raved about <laughs> it's like dark souls yeah well i won't touch dark souls you don't have to follow the story at all to enjoy this game because exploring the world defeating the bosses finding all the upgrades is it's just fine by itself you don't have to understand no. what's going on with, with the space pirates and this meteor that they're they found and like all the resulting radiation that they're studying none of that really matters yeah there's a radioactive substance on this planet called phazon and you might also be wondering why it's called metroid prime uh finish the game (laughs) and you will find out but overall it still holds up i'm starting to come around on your a good game was always good a bad game was always bad sort of mentality yeah that was that was in our slack chat if uh so don't Worry if you don't know what we're talking about, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> it, w- it was brought on by the whole GoldenEye thing. I think that some games were good at the time because it's all we had. And then we kind of just got games that were more influential or influenced by that and did it better. Uh, I don't think Metroid Prime has been done better. Not even by Nintendo. Not even by its sequels. Yeah. No. Which is unfortunate, but you know. I think we talked about that in Slack. Like, Metro Prime 2, I think it's too much hate, but it's definitely not as good as the first one. Metro Prime 3 is, it's all right. It's also not as good as the first one. <laughs> that that one does have dialogue in it, and I feel like that makes it mm. feel disjointed from the rest of the trilogy. I'm really hoping that we get Metroid Prime Hunters. Yeah. Because, that would be interesting. Well, the villain that they're setting up for Metroid Prime 4... Yeah, he's Silux, I think, from yeah. Hunters. He's in the end credits for three, I think, like the special ending. Mm-hmm. Sorry, spoilers. If, if you get 100%, it's it's a 15-year-old game, I mean. <laughs> oh, yeah, but I've seen the Metroid subreddit go wild oh. over... Just be courteous to new players, and it's like, then don't go to the Metroid subreddit. <laughs> um <laughs> Don't go to Reddit in general. <laughs> That's a whole discussion. Hunters was a very multiplayer-focused game. I would really like to see a full-on remaster of that on a system that has better multiplayer infrastructure. <laughs> that could be kind well, of cool to play. Better. Not good. Better. Um, <laughs> in my head, I was, I wouldn't say expecting, but hoping for like a Metroid Prime collection that had the original trilogy... Hunters as the multiplayer, and then Federation Force as the co-op. I know Federation Force wow. gets a lot of flack. I <laughs> liked it. I think it came out at a really awful time, and it was just never going to be welcomed because of the Metroid drought. <laughs> you may be the single person on Earth hoping for that collection. <laughs> Maybe. That would have been a good way to have like your single-player content and then your multiplayer content both you know, player versus player and player versus environment stuff. 
I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for Metroid. I'm hoping that at the very least we get 2 and 3. Again, I don't care if they're remasters or not. I think the art style does a lot of the heavy lifting. I'd love to see a remaster, mm-hmm. but I don't think it necessarily needs one to be enjoyed. I mean, if they are both remasters, it would explain why it took so freaking long for them to come out, but I'm not really expecting for them to be remasters, uh, but I do think there will be widespread disappointment if they aren't remasters, if they're just straight ports, especially if they're going to yeah. sell them for $30, $40 the way they did the original one. Like, If they're not yeah. remasters, I would really hope they would be $20 at the most. <laughs> well, the way this one was released, I would fully expect them to release two and three, just like, oh yeah, by the way. I'm expecting the next Nintendo Direct for them to release two, and then the Direct after that, they'll release three, just like they did with this one. Yeah, that would be great. And it really isn't a long game. I think even if you're exploring this for your first time... You'd probably do it under 15 hours, easily. Yeah, 10, 10 to 15 hours, maybe as many as 20 if you uh, get lost. <laughs> I, I'm trying to consider the the total newbie experience. But like, mm. Sylvia and I, we both know this game really well. We finished it in under 10 hours, So, and the speedrunners can do it in two or three. <laughs> yeah, I saw one that was like an hour and 40 minutes, in remastered nice. even. Because it's the original game, it's just prettied up they haven't fixed any of the glitches or exploits or anything which is beautiful it's how it should be the one thing that i don't think is great is the artifact hunt at the end yeah i was kind of bracing my patience to do that but that was also after i'd been playing all day just to finish the game if if i had just you know gone to sleep and then start up the next day, I probably would have been fine. The Artifact Hunt is also a really good time to go back through the entire game and get all of the upgrades that you hadn't gotten yet. So it makes sense. It's like a victory lap. Yeah. And and Um, the world isn't that big, although there there are a few places getting to them is kind of a pain in the butt, like the mines. Vendrana. Yeah. I think the uh, research station in Fendrana is just a pain to go through because once you unlock a certain item in there, the lights Mm. go out. It's just a a little bit tedious. It's not game-breaking, but it is a little draining. I don't think it affected me as much this time. Like I said, it was still fresh in my mind. So I knew where a lot of these artifacts were and I was getting them as Mm -hmm. I was playing. So I think... For a new player, I don't think you're really going to find many by accident, maybe one or two. Um, but I managed to get six before it got to the point where I needed oh, wow. to get the rest. <laughs> I think I got two or three because I really didn't remember where they were at. Some of them are so devious. <laughs> yeah. There is a way to just for the game to tell you what room the artifact is in. You still have to find it in the room, but you'll know what room it is. So you're not going to be spending yeah. a lot of time wandering around trying to find out just what you're supposed to be doing next just scan Uh, yeah scan everything you'll get symbols the orange ones are like just lore the red ones are a bit more critical so if you have to scan visor on and see red ones always scan them that's that's really my only tip just don't treat it like a first person shooter like take the time to really understand your surroundings for me, two things I don't like about Metroid Prime. Chozo ghosts are annoying oh, as hell. 
forgot about them. As soon as you run into them, just the the pace just plummets. It's like, oh, now I need to stand around for two minutes waiting for the Chozo ghosts to actually be vulnerable. There's they're just they're so annoying. I, I don't like fighting Chozo ghosts. And they keep respawning. They, yeah, that's a part of why the artifact hunt can be a bit tedious at the end yeah. of the game. Because like you'll you have to go through the same room a couple times just to get back and forth, and every time you go back in, you have to fight the Chozo ghosts again. Just like, ugh. The ice shriek bat scan, the infamous missable ice shriek bat scan, is oh, yeah. still missable. Is still missable in the remastered version. I was not pleased, you know. Even though <laughs> I should know by now, don't miss the ice shriek bat scan. The dozens of times I've beaten this game, and I still walk right by it. <laughs> if you want to get 100% completion in the game, don't be ashamed to use a guide to find the ice shriek bats, just so you know where they're at, because they're super easy to miss. And if you do miss them. You ain't getting them again. <laughs> Actually, now that you mention it, I don't think you really need a guide for this game, even though it's a 20-year-old game. Because mm-hmm. it's got the hint system as well, that if you get stuck for a bit too long, it'll ga- it- it'll give you a hint. It'll be like seismic activity in detected in this room, and mm-hmm. it will just kind of just plonk it on the map. Even if you haven't been to that room or you haven't unlocked the map for the area yet, it'll just tell you where, where to go, and you figure it out. But you could disable that system, too, if you don't want it on. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and unlockables. All that trilogy stuff, like all, unlocking all the tokens and everything, that's gone. So if you hated that system in the trilogy, good news for you. Yeah, it, it's just like production materials, concept art, um, but the model viewer. Like, if you really want to have a look at how improved these models are, so good. Do you have any experience with Metroid Prime, Rosalie? I never owned it. Um, I mm. think I played a bit at our friends once, but I've never like sat down and properly played it. GameCube for me was like Wind Waker and Eternal Darkness and Beautiful Joe. They were like my main GameCube games. I usually prefer Metroid when it's like 2D. I might, if it ever goes on sale digitally, because it's already about 35, I might get it. I know I'm never going to get it physically now. <laughs> Yeah, I I need the choice because mm. the uh, the new Link Amiibo for Tears of the Kingdom went up for pre-orders at exactly the same time, and for some reason it was about nearly thirty quid. So I was like, <sighs> for some Link. reason, <laughs> yeah, uh, Link won then. But um, no, I will check out at some point. Uh, it's just not on my priorities because I don't really, I didn't really grow up with it. I hope we've converted you because uh, it is probably one of my like top three, top five. Somewhere in there, games. I have the I have Prime Hunters on the DS. I really like that one, so I probably would really like it. If you liked Hunters, this is like that, but better. <laughs> <laughs> Objectively speaking, of course. All right. So, what are we playing in the coming week, Rosalie? I'll start with you. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to make any promises because I have gotten distracted <laughs> with something else and I haven't played my Switch this week. But I'm going to try and start Fire Emblem Engage because my partner finished it, which means I now get dibs. Yeah, Sylvia, I have a lot of theater rhythm to go through. Um, <laughs> I think I've only done like six or seven series <laughs> so far. Oh wow. Okay. I was kind of thinking you would be way ahead of me <laughs> well, the thing is i know i'm addicted to it so i'm trying to like, make sure i'm playing it at a time where i'm not going to stay up until 4 a.m 
Well, I'm hoping to play Kirby's Return to Dreamland Deluxe, but we got a historic amount of snow in my area this past weekend, so uh, everything's all out of whack. Hopefully it'll arrive sometime in the next couple days, but if not, you know, I got plenty of other things I can play. We'll see what happens. Thanks for listening to this episode of Then Focus. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayState and Power of X. Also be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively GamePodular community. You can follow us on Twitter and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links to all of our socials may be found at linktree forward slash GamePodular. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a GamePodular Patreon. The details for both of those are on our website. Thanks in advance. This episode was edited by Andrew. You can follow him at PlayCritically on Twitter, or check out his long-form reviews at PlayCritically.com. You can follow myself on Twitch.tv forward slash SylvieTory, and Rosalie can be found on Twitter at LilRecordGirl.
Awesome. Oh, thanks, motorbike guy. Cheers.